Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Dustin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today is episode number 454, Veterans and Franchises with John W. Francis. I think there's three or 4,000 brands in America that franchise, and there's hundreds of new brands every year, which is wonderful, but it's also a little bit dangerous because a lot of those new brands, you know, they really don't know franchising. And, and you may have a great concept, a, a pizza shop, a coffee shop, a, a shoe shine stand. You know, I don't care what it is. You can franchise a lot of things. But once you do that, you're in a different business. You're no longer in the, the haircutting business. You're in the franchising business. And it happens to be haircutting. Well, if you're new to Beyond the Uniform, welcome. I hope you enjoy the show. In the last 450 episodes, almost always I interview a military veteran about their civilian career, what they do, how they got there, and advice for others seeking to do the same. If you're listening for the first time today, there's two things different about today's episode. First of all, it is the first in a series of five episodes we're doing on franchises. If you are curious about why that is, listen to the previous episode, which is all about coming soon, where I give some context for why we're doing this deep dive. Second of all, my guest today, John, is one of the rare guests we have on the show who himself is not a veteran. However, he was very generous with his time. I respect and appreciate his deep level of expertise around franchises. In fact, his moniker is Johnny Franchise. If you have a name like Johnny Franchise, you probably know what you're talking about. And so I had reached out to him, had him on the show, and wanted to get a a broad lay of the land about franchises. The subsequent episodes in the next four weeks are going to be more of the traditional format where I speak with a veteran who is running a franchise and you can get that boots on the ground perspective on the franchise they're running and uh, why they chose that. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes for this episode that include a text transcript of everything we discuss, links to things that we discuss, uh, links to other related episodes, And, of course, over 450 other episodes just like this one, all provided for free at beyondtheuniform.org. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with John Francis. So a while back, I had Matt Miller on the show, and in episode number 60, he talked about his experience starting the franchise School Spirit Vending. Um, A little bit later in episode 115 with Ray and Samantha Allen, they talked about a company they were working with that did direct marketing and how it was business with some training wheels to assist and help people like veterans. Both of these got me thinking about franchises and how this is really well suited to veterans who want to start a business and have drive, determination, and discipline, but may not have a killer business idea or a background in business. So I took to Google, and it did not take me long to find at the top of the list when it comes to franchises, my guest today, John W. Francis. Now, John is not a veteran, but he has an immense amount of experience with with and knowledge of franchises, and he's graciously offered to come on the show to help me and all the Beyond the Uniform listeners to better understand franchises and why this may be appealing entrepreneurial vehicle to veterans. Um, so, John, thank you, and welcome to Beyond the Uniform. 
Yeah, thank you, Justin. I uh, appreciate the connection and uh, glad to share what I can and help you out. So for listeners, I want to give you a little bit of background on John. Right now, he runs Next Level Franchise Incorporated in Minnesota. And um, there he helps franchisers, franchisees, and supplier companies with their business issues by offering perspective, experience, advice, and connections to help move them forward. He started back in the 80s helping in his family business, Barber's Inc., which was the franchiser of Cost Cutters, City Looks, and We Care Hair Salon. Over the next 15 years, he helped grow the business internationally, eventually selling to the Regis Corporation in 1999. Since then, he has directly worked with franchises as well as served as an advisor, board member, consultant, and speaker to many people and companies in the franchise world. He is known as Johnny Franchise and is a franchise expert. Um, so, um, John, maybe to start off, um, maybe uh, maybe we'll just dive right into the basics. And if you were talking to someone who's in the military and they don't have um, a traditional business background or business experience, how would you explain to them what a franchise is? Sure. Well, it's a good place to begin. Uh, I would say that a franchise is really an opportunity and um, it can take on a number of different dimensions, but um, typically it's a business, you know, you've got a model and a brand that, uh, that you want to operate. Most people are real familiar with the big brands, McDonald's and Burger King and, you know, huge retail national restaurants and retail systems. They're franchising all around, uh, especially in America because it works. And it works well when it's done properly. So a franchise, when, when people say, oh, I'm going to buy a franchise, well, there's a lot of things that are included in a franchise. And um, what I would suggest for veterans and anyone really is, you know, do your homework, take your time and learn about it. Uh, you, you don't want to make a commitment and an investment like this in a hurry. You want to uh, do your homework and study the opportunity, make sure it's a good fit. So in a franchise, it's usually a brand, a name that's got some value or some connection to that brand, to the, to the business. And then a system, a series of systems, a system of operating that business of marketing and advertising in that business, uh, hopefully strong training programs and systems all around training. And, and oftentimes depending on the nature of the business, you know, there's vendor, uh, benefits and relationships with suppliers and, uh, other, other companies that reduce your cost because you're buying on a, a group scale. You know, there's a lot of things that come with franchising, but they are in all different shapes and sizes and they are not all the same. That's for certain. So it's not a one size fits all, um, but it is a, a tremendous structure of doing business in a way that leverages people's motivation and ability. And if it's done well, if everyone does their part, I think there's nothing more powerful to really create mutual success. Uh, when everyone does their piece of the puzzle, you know, franchising wins at all levels, the corporate system, the franchisees, the vendors and suppliers, you know, everybody around and customers, the consumer wins because they're getting the service and quality and selection and price and value and you know, all the things that come from that kind of success. So I don't know if that's too much or too little, but. Uh, no, this is great. I, you know, you know, I, it sparks. I love it. It sparks a it sparks a question. Um, I was just thinking of when you said that is 
you know, and, and I may be wrong on this, it seems like you are, um, in many circumstances, you are this franchise doctor where you come in and the franchise might be sick and not doing well, and you help the, mm -hmm. the franchise owner figure out what, what, what to change. And I'm curious, yeah. um, you know, in, in so many years of experience, what are some, are there any trends that you've seen and like what, what tends to go south in a franchise? What tends to, to get things off the rails here? Well, that's a really good question. And um, uh, I guess it happens at different points in the, the, the growth of a franchise. But the real problem starts in the very beginning where people look at something or convince themselves that they should buy something that really doesn't fit. Um, so it's, I would say it begins in the beginning uh, by the brand that you choose. Like, for example, I used to sell hair salon franchises, and that's a great business. Haircuts are the most reliable thing. You know, you, people have been cutting hair the same way for 5,000 years, you know, sharp instruments, right? It, you, you're not going to get your head cut at an Amazon, you know, whatever. It, so it's a, it's a great business, right? It's, it's a, what do they call a resistant to technological obsolescence is the haircutting business. So I used to sell franchises and there's a certain thing about running a hair salon, right? If you're a barber or a hairdresser, you know, that's one piece of the puzzle. It's certainly, it's got some technical and there's regulation and, and rules and licenses and things you got to deal with. But as an owner, um, if those owners really don't understand the business they're in and what makes it work, you know, it, it doesn't work for them. So in the salon business, you might imagine there's, you know, you've got hairdressers and stylists and managers and, you know, it's retail and service. And so it's got to be clean. And, you know, there's a lot of things you got to execute well to have success in a hair salon business. It's not the same as other types of businesses, right? You need different skill sets. So I would, when I was selling those franchises for hair salons, you know, the first question is, can you afford it and show me that you've got the, you know, the resources in terms of cash and financing or whatever, lending and equity in your house. You know, back in those days, that was pretty common. But um, part of it was then the personality fit. Like, does this, and I think you're going to be successful working in this environment because I know what I'm selling. You know, I know what these hair salons are like. They're great. If you're good at it, it works great. And, but there's certain people that just should not be in that business. You know, they don't have the skills or they have the opposite skills. You know, it's just going to be more difficult for you. Um, helping those people recognize that in a way that's not insulting or condescending or, uh, or that takes a huge amount of time because if it's not a fit, man, you want to move on, you know, yeah. and go look at something else. Cause there's, you know, thousands of franchise brands. I think there's three or 4,000 brands in America that franchise, and there's hundreds of new brands every year, which is wonderful, but it's also a little bit dangerous because a lot of those new brands, you know, they really don't know franchising and, and you may have a great concept, a, a pizza shop, a coffee shop, a, a shoe shine stand, you know, I don't care what it is. You can franchise a lot of things, but once you do that, you're in a different business. You're no longer in the, the haircutting business. You're in the franchising business and it happens to be haircutting. So I never cut hair. You know, I, I love the industry, but I never got that far. And, and, but I learned franchising. So when I look at brands that are franchising, I like to say, is this a good system to these people? Are they have number one have integrity? Are they, are they good people knowing what they're trying to accomplish? Because the franchising is really boils down to relationships. And 
people are going to do what they need to do when when they're growing their business. But if they have integrity and they have, you know, a plan and and they know how to be successful and they'll do the right thing, you know, a franchise will grow. And I call, I like to call franchising economic Darwinism because it's like the stronger and the faster are are usually get ahead, but it's also the ones that adapt and, and take care of their people that really survive. So you can have brands that come and go really fast or relatively fast. You can have brands that, that explode and grow overnight, but then they close in the next year, they're all gone. You know, those kind of, that's a failure. Well, I don't like to see that. I, I want to see success that is lasting and, and uh, meaningful and, and, you know, people get what they deserve. So it takes time. It takes money. It's not easy. Nothing's easy, but franchising gives you a great format and a platform for success, but you have to do your part as the owner and the franchisee. You got to make sure it's the right one. So from the beginning where things go wrong is they pick the wrong one or they pick it for the wrong reasons. You know, it's not all about economics, right? It can't be. Life is more than just making money. If, I mean, this is kind of crude, but if we were all interested in just making money, we'd all be drug dealers and prostitutes, you know, because, <laughs> you know, yep. but we're not because we have integrity and, and we want to do the right thing. And, you know, we want to, so a franchise is a great business, it, but you got to find one that fits you, that fits you economically in terms of dollars. What can you afford? Or what are you capable of? Or what do you, you know, what do you really want to do? And then what fits your personality? What, what, what does it take to be successful in that? business in that brand you know what kind of skills and experience if i have them great it's a natural fit if it's not something for me can i learn how to do that and And i'm comfortable doing that you know yep and i love this i love this thought that it's like you know it starts with picking the right business finding something that, that suits the individual person is there um you know just in your work with um thousands of individuals who work in a franchise are there any common characteristics that you found? Like obviously the individual skill sure. sets or aptitudes might change, but what, what sticks out as common amongst them? Well, a uh, couple of things immediately come to mind. One is the ability to work hard. I mean, when you're the owner, I don't care what it is. You, you, you have a, a, a different attitude about things. You know, you can't just work there. You, you own it. And ownership is a lot of responsibility a lot of uh, opportunity, you know, a lot of liability in some cases. And when you have a number of employees or other people investing in your deal, I mean, that, that raises the bar. So it's a big expectation. You got to have the mental toughness and you got to have the right attitude that I'm the owner. It's up to me. I'm going to do this. So half of the battle is just commitment to work hard and never give up. And uh, in a franchise, I think the other trait that is often, uh, underestimated or, or um, uh, underutilized is the connectivity in a brand, a franchise brand, you can connect with other owners. You can connect with the franchisor. you know, hopefully the corporate office has more than a couple of people sitting around, you know, they've got marketing people, they've got finance people, they've got training people, they've got, you know, the leadership, the president, uh, you know, whoever is running the place. You can connect with those people. If you're a franchisee, you know, you're part of the family, so to speak. It's part of a network of the brand and the other owners who are out running their stores all over the country. Hopefully there's lots of good ones and you're just another good one. You know, you want to follow their pattern. You want to follow their model. You want to do what they're doing in the way that makes successful, you know, so hard work, 
number one, and then being able to pay attention and ask for help and do the right things. You know, the, the worst mistake that I see often is a franchisee gets into a brand and, and they're rolling along and they say, well, you know what, I'm going to change it. I need to change this. Uh, I don't like this piece of this brand, so I'm going to do it this way, or I'm going to call it something else, or I'm going to change something. <laughs> I say, you know, we don't sell tires at the hair salon because somebody said, hey, where can I buy some tires? You know, we're not changing the model. So when a franchisee starts to tweak or adjust, or um, when I hear this doesn't work in my market's different, you know, um, that's a red flag for me. So when a franchisee is thinking that way, they should stop what they're thinking and call somebody and say, hey, what do you think? You know, talk to corporate, talk to the other franchisees, talk to people you know and trust in the brand who are successful and, um, you know, get some input, share the idea and talk about it before you go doing it. Because oftentimes you're just deviating yourself from true profitability. I mean, a good franchise has all those systems kind of baked into it, you know, mm-hmm. and over time, the marketing and the training and the operations and the finance and, you know, all the systems are integrated and kind of work together. So you have to do them all and you have to do the whole thing. If you just do parts of it, it really doesn't work. It's like you got a V8 motor with two plug wires crisscrossed, you know, it, it'll run, but it ain't pretty. You know? So <laughs> you want to get this thing working right and you want to fine tune it and you got to do the hard work. And I guess the third, I don't know if it's the third thing, but it's hiring people. If you have a business where you have employees, you know, uh, whatever they're cutting hair or they're making sandwiches or they're cleaning floors or they're driving the whatever, you know, you have employees, make sure you get good people because uh, it always comes down to people. And you know, unfortunately, franchisees, oftentimes they've never hired anybody. You know, they've never been an employer. They've never had to make a payroll. They don't know what they don't know. And so they go through the training and you read the book and everything, but you've never done it. So it's kind of scary first time, but uh, I would say get used to it and uh, be prepared for that and, and practice it if you haven't, because hiring the right people and keeping the right people and getting rid of the wrong people quickly you know slow to hire quick to fire that whole i mean people the people side of any business is kind of a secret weapon and Mm -hmm. oftentimes i see owners that are in a deal and this person started out fine but you know six months later two years later they're really not doing the job but they're so close and they're friends and they you know they they can't undo it it's like wait a minute you know when did this become a charity function you know because Mm you need to be the owner, you need to be the grown up and, and run the business for the business, not to employ your friends, you know, unless that was your intention and she's a business partner and that's different than give her the checkbook, you know? Yeah. But usually uh, those are the kind of tough conversations I got to have with people to say, look, you know, what's wrong here. Just do it. Yeah. You know, it's when a franchise doesn't work, it's, pretty quick for me to come in and see what's missing. Usually it's something that's missing. They've screwed something up or they delayed a decision and now they're trying to cover up for it. Or, you know, people don't like to make mistakes. Of course, nobody does. People don't like to admit when they make mistakes. I mean, it's human nature. And I love in a franchise, the, the sooner you get over it and say, you know, I screwed this up. Can you help me figure it out and start asking for input on what to change and how to modify whatever needs, you know, 
a lot of it can do you can do things with no cost it's just a different attitude or a different approach to something yeah and a lot of times it's the people so anyway those are the big variables that yeah this is great and i and you know of those three things you know i think that the uh, that first one, the ability to work hard, I think most veterans have that. I think that, that that's they're going to be Absolutely. their strength here. I think that the, right. um, the other two, I, I think, are definitely traits that most vets can learn. I think that, that um, you talk about the connectivity, asking for help. I think there's aspects where veterans are used to working with a team. A lot of the people I've had on the show have just talked about sometimes it is difficult asking for help. So that's some, just something for a veteran to be aware of. And then that third thing, hiring, I think that the vet, the typical vet can knock out of the park the management piece, but I think it's important for right. them to realize, like you said, they, they haven't hired or fired or had the budget component before, and that's certainly things they can learn, but I think it's important for yeah. listeners to realize, since you don't have that experience, to really be aware of that and really take advantage of that network with the franchise to learn about firing and having those difficult conversations. Um, so yeah, and how it, how it works and how it feels and you know, yep. it, practice. You, you can do some uh, dress rehearsals, we used to call it. You know, yep. It's just fun. And, and I would love to dive into the starting point of, you know, if, if someone is listening and they would like to, um, they think this might be the right model for them. How much money does one typically need? How much capital do they need to, 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 to buy into a franchise? And what are the first... Actually, and, and um, any advice you might have on finding and evaluating which what's the right franchise to invest in? Well, there's a, two big questions. There's a lot there, but uh, I'll try to tackle the first part, the capital, you know, the money, the investment. Uh, franchises, I mean, there's big ones and small ones. They come in all shapes and sizes. Um, I can... I can point you to an opportunity that's $50,000 or less, which is probably, you know, where, where, where most brands begin is around that $50,000, like total investment. That might be a fee, a franchise fee is a one-time fee. Uh, there may be some costs associated with legal and uh, training and you're going to travel there. You're going to have some contracts to sign. You're going to have set up a corporation, you know, you're going to organize yourself. So if it's a $50,000 investment, let's just say, and some of these are have equipment, you can finance the equipment. Uh, some uh, you can get financing or, and, and, and honestly, for a lot of franch, uh, franchises that are veteran friendly, which is a, a quite an initiative going on in, in franchising, there's discounts on those fees. The franchise fees oftentimes are discounted for veterans. The program is called Vet Fran. And, um, it's organized through the International Franchise Association. Uh, but the, the fees are discounted. But So you have to pay usually the fees in cash and then the rest uh, financing. And So let's just say it's half. I, I think good advice is to have half of the, what you need to borrow. If you borrow too much, then you're really only working for the bank, right? You're not really earning your business. You're, you're paying their business. So I like to say, try not to borrow 50% of the investment, it, it, any more than that gets a little tricky, but you know, sometimes depending on the model, uh, that's, that's okay, but you need to know that going in. So you're going to need some cash and where does it come from? Well, hopefully you've saved it or earned it, or you sold something else and you've got some cash or, you know, people go to friends and family, um, and ask for 
investments or uh, loans, I would say, are easier than invest. It's easier to take a loan than an investment. And whatever you agree to, I would say, just write it down because I always say, you know, debt, you can pay it back and they're gone, right? You can borrow money from a bank or an investor or a family member. And if it's a loan and you make payments and then you pay it off, then they're gone. They go away. An investor, a partner, a shareholder, you know, they make an investment and you trade them equity or interest in your business. Well, now they, they might have a say in what decisions you make and they may feel entitled to uh, you know, participate somehow at a level that you didn't expect. So I would say borrow the money first, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you need to get the money and you need to be able to afford it. So you find something that fits, find something affordable. A lot of people do things like vending machines. I've seen guys go do that for a year or two and then sell that business and buy a franchise because they wanted something where they could start it up and make the money and hustle for it and then sell that business and get into something else where they can have employees that then hustle for. You know? is, is, it, is that because it, the vending machines are just typically, is that a, a much lower price? Less point? expensive. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You can start with one, you know, you can, you can scale that thing and it, it's a hard work thing and it's lifestyle thing, but it's a starting point. You know, it's whatever you, I had a buddy in high school uh, in college who did a paper route because he he made the money. I mean, he and he he went on to be one of the most successful guys I ever knew. But the fact is, he did the work. You know, he was the only one getting up at five a.m. You know what I mean? But uh, he he leveraged that attitude into great success. But so you got to be willing to do whatever it takes to start, get the money, and raise the money, and keep the money, and and then invest carefully. But people go from one business to the next. And then they grow into something bigger. And it just and a lot of people do it in real estate, you know, apartments and rental properties and things of that nature. I've I've done a lot of that too. And you know, you try to get to the point where you can hire a caretaker who handles the day to day, so you're not getting all those phone calls. So to scale a business operation up to the point where you have employees is great, but it's even better when you can hire a manager because then the manager can manage the staff and you can interact with the manager and you can own the place, but not work there. And I mean, that's a real, you know, a, a goal, I think in a lot of people's mind is, you know, a lot of times buying a franchise can be like buying a job. I mean, that's what it feels like. Cause that's where you start and that's okay. As long as you know that going in and, and you do what you have to do to grow that thing and get to the level of success where you can start to hire people or better people or pay them more or do scale and grow and improve and get onto the bigger, more valuable, activity as the owner and you let the staff do their job and then you hire managers to run the staff and do their job and then your job is to own the place which is you know maybe manage the cash flow do the advertising probably some sales or whatever and maybe grow another one and look for the second one and the third one and sometimes people scale with multiple units over time i mean that's a real strategy that people pursue but you know they don't start there they usually start somewhere you know, much simpler earlier in their career. If you're lucky, you start early and you have success and the track record just builds over time. But, um, you know, those habits never change. Working hard, staying organized, I would say is a great habit. You know, write things down and do what you say and say what you do. I mean, just fundamental common sense basics. So I, I think veterans, by the way, because they're used to systems and organized approaches, checklists, structure, 
franchising is a quite natural environment for veterans to be successful. And franchisors recognize that, uh, that they, these veterans are great franchisees if they've got the right attitude and they've got the right economic, you know, it's got to be a fit. But they're, you know, uh, I think there's a, a lot of examples of success with uh, veterans coming into the franchise and, and franchising has welcomed them through programs like VetFran. And there, I mean, there are magazines, there are, there are shows, franchise expos and things all targeted towards helping veterans get into the franchise universe and uh, find opportunities that match. This is great. I love the, um, you know, I love the progression that you laid out there. And I think that even that thought of like, you know, probably any veteran could start with something like a vending company and then expand. And I love that thought of then selling that to have the money to buy into the franchise. But it, it just seems like this progression is it's starting small. It's starting often where you are the one who has to do everything and then you're able to bring in more and more people to get work off your plate. But I, I love what you said. It can feel like you're buying a job. It seems like you're paying $50,000 to have a very demanding job, which I imagine can be really um, uh, a m- yeah. mental challenge at first. Well, there's a breakthrough point where a lot of owners get stuck there, unfortunately. And they're like, I got to do the work myself. I got to be here. I can't afford to pay somebody. I said, well, that's the beginning of the end. You know, when, when you said, when, when I'm you, not you, but I mean, when a franchisee says, I got to cut back my advertising, my cash flow is tight. And I got to cut back advertising. I said, that's the worst thing you could do is cut back advertising. So when things get tight and cash flow is, you know, cash flow, you got to pay the bills or you want to pay the bills. Who doesn't get paid first is a real tough decision. And um, that's when a franchisee needs to put the checkbook down and pick up the phone and call a franchisee or call the corporate office or call somebody to help assess, you know, where do I go from here? What am I missing? It's not working. If, if you run out of money, it's not working. Something is unprepared or something went wrong. So you want to make sure you're on track with your cash flow right from the very beginning and be careful to spend. You know, one of my favorite sayings in business is if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. And um, that applies in especially retail, <laughs> you know, not maybe in life, but uh, in certainly in business, you have to know what you're spending and what are you going to get for it? And is it the right thing to spend on? But if you grow your business and it cash flows, which is a beautiful thing. And then from there you can add and improve and reinvest, hire more people, buy more inventory, upgrade the equipment, advertise some more, you know, do whatever to grow the business, but you have to have the growth come from within. Otherwise you're just investing more of your own money. This is and great. then ideally an owner owner would pay themselves sooner or later. You, 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 you pay yourself and there's strategies around that, you know, and um, family, you may want to build a family business. I've, I, I'm a big fan of family business. I grew up in a family business. I, uh, uh, I'm involved with, I've got three sisters in a family business that we're, we're into some things together. It's wonderful. And I think, uh, I think that's a great strategy for people. I, I've seen people use franchising as an inheritance mechanism. So this is not what you're looking for, but I'll just mention it where let's just say junior has the ambition and and senior has the dollars. So junior picks the brand and senior funds it becomes his backer, like a business partner, a silent partner. Junior does the work, senior holds his hand, 
you know, they work together and over time, junior buys out senior and the business pays for itself or senior gifts shares to junior, you know, there's gifting and tax, you know, situation there, but a guy can use the money that you would earn as your inheritance while you're alive to build something that you can then keep, which will be much more than your inheritance you'll get when I'm gone. Mm. That's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's a great strategy if, if, if it were, you know, but everyone's got to understand the role and this progression and, you know, it's not simple, but you know, it were, I've seen it done and I've seen, here's the thing is if junior falls apart and it doesn't work, senior sells the franchise. Yep. You sell it off. Franchises are easier to sell than independent. You know, I could sell you a, a cost cutters hair salon faster than I could sell you Johnny's, you know, haircuts, mm. you know, you know what I mean? A branded yep. system because the buyer is going to buy into that franchise that they're not relying on the seller. I mean, they are, but they're, they're buying that they're replacing the seller and hopefully that brand can come in there and make the changes to get whatever junior did wrong. Uh, you know, senior can sell it and, uh, junior didn't uh, blow his whole inheritance, you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And you I know what I'm saying. I'm yep. just saying it's a strategy for uh, people might not think about it, but franchising allows that to happen sometimes a little easier with a little more, uh, I guess, constructive uh, environment. And then, you know, it's not as risky, frankly, because uh, if junior wins, he can build five more and dad can watch him or senior can watch juniors and have that success is great. Mm. If junior fails, you know, that senior can sort of protect him from hurting himself too bad and stop the bleeding and unwind it because he's still got control or power. You know, you can, it's all on how you structured the deal, but, um, yeah. Anyway, franchising is a great mechanism for people who want to work hard, get involved in a brand. And I would say when you're looking at franchises, find something that you truly enjoy or you have some enthusiasm around the core business. I mean, if you don't like people, you should not be in the hair salon business, right? If you're not a, you know, people person, because that's the nature of that industry is you got to have some personality and you got to have some fun talking to people because that's hair salons. I've got uh, other brands that I work with that have different skill sets, you know, and they're, they're all over the place. And, um, you know, there are, the good news is there's lots of franchises out there. The, the bad news is you got to decide what fits you and what do you actually have some interest and enthusiasm in, you know, uh, you got to know the business you're in, not just how to run it. You have to have some natural, genuine excitement and enthusiasm for people to believe and trust and have some faith to follow you as their employees or customers or anything. You know, people want positive energy and you can't really fake that. So and you I think had, that's a key thing. You had mentioned earlier, you had mentioned the IFA, the International Franchise Association, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's at franchise.org and, the, and there's also franchise.org slash vetfran. I'm curious, are there any other resources you would recommend to listeners that could be books or movies or conferences, mm. things that might help them uh, either figure out if this is what they want to do or learn more and start to grow the skills necessary for this? Well, sure. There, I mean, franchising is a big area. There's a lot of companies doing it. Um, like I said, to three or 4,000, maybe more than that by now. 
I think there's almost a million franchise outlets in the U.S. I mean, if you drive around any city, you see them. They're everywhere. You know, there's lots of franchising. So a lot of people doing it, a lot of um, a lot of resources to consider. There are people, uh, groups, organizations that work as matchmakers, as brokers or agents. And it's kind of like a realtor selling a house. You know, you're going to call a broker or go to their website and look and see what they have in inventory. There are companies that sell franchises that way and they they don't charge the franchisee the candidate the buyer pays nothing the fee comes from the corporate system the franchisor would pay a referral fee for for a broker we i would call him a broker or a consultant who brings a deal in and they buy so there are groups out there called uh fran choice is a, a vendor that I, I i like those guys they do a nice job there's another one called fran net uh, that's a great company, good people, great, you know, but their, their consultants are all over the country and, uh, they work on, uh, you know, usually they want to find you something that fits. I mean, that's all they do. And then, uh, another one is entrepreneur source is a big one that's been around for a long time. And there's probably five or 10 more that are like that. And it's, you know, where they specialty is to do a, an assessment and a profile. They get to know the, the buyer. And then they try to line you up with brands that they know and trust and that they think is going to be a good fit. Um, the good news is that they help you understand what you have and what you should be looking at. And, and hopefully they educate you on, you know, why this is a good fit. And, and you should then you got to decide. Usually it's they, they introduce you to three concepts and then they turn you over. And then those three concepts want to make sure that you are a fit and they actually sell you the franchise. So these guys. The consultants do more of the preparation and kind of front end work and uh and then they turn you over and then if you buy they get a referral fee from from the company you buy from so it's a fair deal and it's a great value and i think generally speaking it's a good situation the bad news is you know uh it takes time and it's a commitment but i think it's well worth it uh, and the other piece that is a challenge is those brokers or consultants really only know a handful of brands they may have 80 or 100 brands in their inventory, but they really only have familiarity with maybe 15 or 20 or 30. I mean, how many can you really know? And so there may be others out there that would be a, a, as good or better fit, but you may not ever hear about them because they're not part of their inventory or they're not on this guy's short list or, or whatever. But the, I think the risk is, is, uh, is manageable because really it's a help way for people to learn about franchising, learn about their own strengths and weaknesses, learn about the reality of what's out there. And I would say, whatever you look at, you know, look at it very carefully and then, you know, maybe look around a little more, depending on how much time you want to take with it, but you know, make a good choice and, and do your homework on the brand. There's, there's a lot of ways of doing what we call validation, where you go check out and make sure that that franchise operates the way that you expect it to and and that you know what it's like I, I say spend a day with an operator before you go sign a contract and write a big fat check you know <laughs> go spend a day with a guy who's running one of those units and uh shadow them for a day and see how they operate and see what they have to go through and make sure that you're comfortable and enthusiastic about it because uh 
that's what it takes to be successful. So that's such great advice. I love that idea of just shadowing the person and and God, what a difference, uh, 24 hours, you know, just eight hours or 12 hours with one person, literally seeing what they're doing and seeing the nitty gritty reality of it rather than the ideal that you might see from the exterior. I think that's such a fantastic way to, to validate and see, Hey, this is something I could get into. And this is something I, I would be on, uh, you know, I'd be on board for doing this day in and day out for years to make this grow and be a success. Yeah. Yep. I, I say you want to make a well-informed decision either to buy that franchise or to not buy that yep. franchise. You want to, you want to know why you're making your choice. And it, of course it's an emotional choice, but you try to, it cannot only be logical and it cannot only be financial. It has to make sense on all levels. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of the puzzle that sometimes is underestimated is make sure your spouse or your family or the people around you support your idea. <laughs> it's very difficult if someone gets into a, a business and they come home and say, Hey, guess what? I just bought into the whatever brand. Mm-hmm. And your wife or your husband or your kids look at you and say, you did what, <laughs> you know, and they, they start doubting you and, and putting in, uh, you know, any kind of uh, anything other than enthusiastic support is going to hurt you. So yep. give them a chance to take a look at it say, Hey, I'm looking at this. What do you think? You know, they may ask some questions that uh, you may want to get the answers to, you know, and, um, uh, I just say, you know, have a supportive environment, a family, uh, you know, a network of people around you that believe in you, that have confidence, that are willing maybe to help you. I mean, I, I put my kids to work sometimes. It's great. You know? <laughs> That's um, awesome. It, well, yeah. I know I know we're running out of time here. I want to I want to make space for two things. I want to make space for anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with veteran listeners. And I also wanted to make sure I asked you about Father's Eve, which is another thing that you're doing, um, not related to franchises, but I thought listeners might really be interested. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, I think around the franchising and veterans, you know, there's a lot of great opportunities in franchising and there's a lot of great people doing great work in franchising. And, um, you know, if you want to be part of that, you find a good one, find a good brand with some good people and find a business that you really, truly enjoy um, because that's it's easier to have success. You know, it comes more natural and you're willing to work hard for something that you truly believe in and people you really believe and trust. And so take your time to get to know the people and the business and, and have a real good understanding of what's it going to take to be successful in that brand. And there's lots of places you can go and look. I'd offer my website. Uh, you're going to have a link on it on the thing. I've got a blog that's got all kinds of stuff in there. And there's books and magazines, um, Franchise Times. Uh, there's a magazine that's online. Uh, Franchise World is a magazine put out by the IFA. There's all kinds of expos and shows and seminars and workshops. And I would say, you know, take your time if you can. Take as much time as you can, I guess. Anyway, but I think it's a great way to go. And if you get into a good one, man, follow the model, work hard, ask for help, pay attention, you know, do your best to follow that system and engage fully in that brand. There are a lot of things that uh, I suggest a franchise advisory council, if they have one, get involved with it. If there's a, uh, a conference or a workshop that your corporate brand is hosting, go to it. You know, never miss the annual convention. Go there and be there. Save up the money so that you can afford to go. 
most brands have a big conference for all the owners to come together at least once a year. That's a huge, very important piece. You have to be prepared to, you know, make that investment in yourself and your business. It's a training. Some brands make it a requirement, which I think is generally a smart strategy. So if you do pick a brand and you go for it, you know, get in there and do all you can and, and really and fully immerse yourself into that brand and follow the good ones. You know, meet the people who are successful. I say, go ask who are the last franchisee of the year for the last five years. Go talk to them <laughs> because you want to be the next one, right? You want to be that successful, uh, you know, operator. And, and success comes in a lot of different ways and a lot of different uh, levels for it's different for people. So you got to find one that fits you anyway. That's all I can share about franchise. I could go on forever. But, <laughs> this um, is fantastic. And I, uh, it, yeah, I appreciate place. all of this. And yeah, what would you want listeners to know about Father's Eve? Well, thank you. Father's Eve is, is a, a different project. I started it. It's kind of my give back, I guess, to the universe. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a dad of two girls here in St. Paul, and I love being a dad. And I'm lucky that I can do my fatherhood the way I really want to. And it started as an accident, believe it or not, in my garage. We we hosted a party uh, the night before Father's Day, and I called it Father's Eve just because it kind of happened to be that Saturday night. And uh, it turned into something, and uh, we, we grew it and expanded it and had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, two years ago, we made it a charity fundraiser event, and we raised $10,000 for, for dad-related charities. I couldn't believe it. Then last year we licensed it and uh, I met a group, you know, everything's a franchise to me. So I, I met a group that runs these dad clubs around the country and, and got a hold of them. So we, we did it in uh, 12 cities last year. And then this year, 2017, we expanded on that and I got a little more organized and pushed a little harder like anything. And we did it in 42 cities this year. And, um, we had some sponsors and we raised some more money for charity. And now next year, we're really trying to figure it out and uh, turn it into something that is really a celebration for dads is what it is. You know, so Father's Day, everybody knows Father's Day is for dads and their family, which is great. We don't want to change that. We Father's Eve is for just for the dads. It's just the night before for the dads to get together, call it a dad's night out, call it a we connect and we share and we celebrate. We, we actually do a countdown. We, we figured New Year's Eve has midnight. You know, well, we're not going to wait till midnight. We can't stay up. So we do a countdown at eight o'clock. We do a local toast to the dads. And uh, we have some fun with that. And it's a big celebration. And some of the places uh, we do charity fundraisers or auctions. We have games and, and uh, you know, we do these things. We have bag toss tournaments. Um, some guys did a poker tournament. Some guys do a golf tournament. And we had one guy do an archery thing. He's way into archery. You know, it, it's it's hosted all over the country. Uh, there's some major events where we, we have bigger things where we sell tickets and sell T-shirts and kind of that. Bigger gatherings. And then we have smaller groups. Usually it's in a bar or restaurant and somebody hosts and, and we try to have some fun and just connect the dads on a local level. And then uh, it started in my garage. So there are guys that do it in their garage. And they invite their buddies over. And like I said, you know, I had a cooler full of beer and a couple of pizzas and it wasn't much to it, but we sure had fun. And uh, I think connecting dads to each other to celebrate being dads and help each other. You know, I'm always trying to figure it out how to be a better dad, a better husband, a better father to my children and trying to 
you know, do the right thing. And it, nothing's easy. And uh, I, I got a lot of help from my friends and, and my in-laws. I lost my dad when I was 26. I lost my older brother when I was 29. And I finally got married in my 30s and had kids at 36 and 40 years old. So I'm a late dad. And, um, you know, I needed the the feedback and the support of my friends and relatives to help me figure it out. So to me, Father's Eve is like a way to celebrate and connect all those dads with each other, because that's really the fun part is bringing people together with a common connection of being dads and celebrating that. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, you can go to the website, fathersEve.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter and all that. And you can sign up. We have an email thing. We're trying to organize ourselves for next year, 2018. And I think we'll have some fun. Yeah, well, I know we'll have fun. That's that's what it's all about is kind of having fun with it. So this is that's great, Father's Tom. Eve. This is yeah, awesome. Thanks for letting me share that. Yeah, thank you for joining me on the show. For listeners, I'm going to have links to everything we discussed. But if you want to check out what John's up to, you can check it out at johnwfrancis.com. You can also check out fathersEve.com. And in the show notes, I'll have links to all the different resources he mentioned if you're interested in a franchise. So, John, thank you for sharing your perspective and your advice and helping out the veteran community. You're welcome, Justin. Thanks for the opportunity to share what I know, tell some stories, and uh, and share my other project, too. I, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Surface, surface, surface. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.